0: Have you ever wanted to play the perfect tabletop game where story beats run smoothly and there's no awkward pauses between dice rolls? Yeah, me too. But since that's impossible, I did the next best thing and novelized my Witcher tabletop game to showcase the story in its cleanest form. The result is this podcast. I'm Jacob Gerstel, and this is Tales from the Witcher. Part audiobook, part actual play, part serialized adventure, and a whole new way to vicariously enjoy tabletop games. Welcome to the world of The Witcher, where monsters roam freely and the continent is once again at war. If you were hoping to follow the plight of Geralt of Rivia, however, I'm not going to be doing that. Instead, I offer you the story of a not-so-merry band of degenerates who are making their way across the continent. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Higher Consideration 11. They all noticed it, in one way or another. The first way was the tolling of the bell. It rang continuously for five minutes, and from the moment it rang, things changed. Ethramel noticed this as he drank wine and watched the she-elf he met outside the golden blouse undress. Carminiola noticed this as he ate his meal at the stonework. Cedra noticed this and pushed herself off the dark-haired woman she was bedding. Jeremiah noticed this, but pretended not to. The tolling cast its own spell over Lonkoff. Anyone on the street, soldier or civilian, rushed home. Those in taverns stiffened and stopped their conversations. Some, like Carminiola, looked out the window. Most looked down at their drinks. The bell stopped, and the sun sunk beneath the Mahakam Mountains to the west, and when the last ray of light had disappeared, the fog rolled in. It was thin and smoky and blanketed the town and the surrounding area almost immediately. Ethermel saw this from his bedroom window. Carminiola saw this from the tavern. Cedra saw this from her room as well. And Jeremiah pretended not to, but saw it later that night. The fog settled, and from it figures began to emerge. When silhouetted, they looked human, but when they got close, it was clear they were not. Wraiths. Rotting ghosts, dressed in scraps of rotting cloth. Many were missing limbs or eyes or fingers. Some floated, some shambled. They all moved aimlessly, like lost children. They didn't enter any homes, but they passed close by. The dead seemed to ignore the living. The six newcomers saw this, and each of them wondered why the people of Lonkov would choose to live here. "'It's their home,' Ethramel thought. "'People will do a lot to keep their home.' He knew that better than most." The sorcerer watched Signet's curse from his window for a short time. Then he hobbled back to bed. Twelve. Cedra awoke with a dry mouth and a throbbing headache. She groaned and tried to cover her eyes from the sun shining through the window, but found her left arm trapped under a naked woman. Sedra pulled her arm free and opened and closed her fist, feeling the first pinpricks of pain run along her numb forearm. The woman, whose name Cedra forgot, Rolled towards the troubadour and smiled sleepily. Morning. Good morning, Cedra said, probing for a waterskin on the nightstand. She found none, only two empty bottles of wine. She sighed. The woman snuggled up against Cedra like a cat. She could feel the woman's small, firm breasts press against her, could smell the faint lilac scent still on her. But this did nothing for Cedra, not in the light of morning. The night before, after drinking several complimentary glasses of wine, this woman looked the spitting image of lavender. It was her hair, Cedra realized, staring at the woman's dark trestles, matted down from sleep. Now, Cedra wondered how she could ever think the two looked alike. The woman's nose was a little too snub, her eyes a little too close, her chin a little weaker. Such a comparison wasn't fair. Cedra knew no one would be able to match lavender's beauty. Still, Cedra couldn't help but hold it against the woman. The woman toured with Cedra's wooden foxhead pendant, the only article of clothing she still had on. Got more ballads to sing today, she asked. Cedra moved the woman's hand away and sat up. She regretted it immediately and fought back the urge to puke. She managed to keep her dignity and looked for a shirt among the clothing strewn on the floor. There's always more ballads to sing. She dressed quickly and looked at the window. She paused and slowly walked over. The fog was lifted and the people milled about on the street instead of specters. Cedra breathed a sigh of relief. The woman, still in bed, rested her head in her hand and said, It was quite the sight, eh? It certainly was. Cedra walked back and kissed the woman. Thanks for the fun evening. Cedra went downstairs and found Ethramel, Carminiola, Jeremiah, and Arthur eating breakfast together. Arthur was waving his arms and spoke quickly about what he saw the night before, the same thing all of them saw. I was up half the night writing my ballad, he said, as Sedra took a seat with a plate of eggs and fried bread. I just had to capture everything I saw. It was incredible. Maybe next time you can go out and experience it firsthand, Ethermel said in a dry voice as he rubbed his eye. Sedra assumed that he, too, was hung over. I certainly can't stop now, Arthur said, bits of egg dropping from his mouth. Are you going to Signet's Keep today to try to lift the curse? I must come along and see it for myself. Ethermel shrugged. I figured I would let the witcher do all the hard work. Speaking of, Carminiola said, has anyone seen our companion? Not since yesterday, Jeremiah said. I assumed he was off gathering ingredients or whatnot for his potions. Cedric yawned and stretched. I didn't see him last night. Jeremiah chuckled. Well, to be fair, you were preoccupied for most of the night. As were you, I'm guessing. We all were, Ethermel said. We're dining at a brothel for Melitella's sake. I did not, Carminiola added. I went to the nicest inn I could find after I finished my shift, and that's where I stayed all night. What an upstanding man. Cedra forked egg onto her bread and took a bite. Both were under-seasoned. Point is that none of us have seen Zevo since. The door opened and the witcher walked in. His hair looked disheveled, but there were no obvious injuries on him. He grabbed a large plate of eggs and a pile of fried bread and sat next to everyone. He started eating and said with a full mouth, We've got a problem. Do take your time, Jeremiah said. Don't choke on your food. I met Signet yesterday. Ethermel blinked. Well, if you're still here, then I assume you killed him. Zevo shook his head and took Jeremiah's morning ale to wash down his food. He's alive, and he's gone senile. Cedra settled into her chair and continued eating. If she had learned anything since Ashford, it was that it was better to get comfortable while the witcher and sorcerer had a lengthy conversation about monsters and magic. Your head would hurt after, but at least your ass wouldn't. You're kidding, Ethramel said. When Zevo shook his head, the elf continued, Well, then how do you plan to lift the curse? If you choose to, that is. We'll need to recreate the curse, Zevo said. Six people in a circle outside Signet's Keep, each with something symbolically linked to a member of the committee. And we need the old sorcerer there, too. Jeremiah ordered another ale. Well, how will that work if he's gone senile? It doesn't matter as long as he's there. It's all symbolic, anyway. Like how any six can stand in for the committee, Ethermel said. I spoke with someone quite knowledgeable about the curse yesterday, as it turns out. She talked about the six, called them by titles, not names. Ethermel squeezed his eyes shut and recited. The soldier, the poet, the tamer, the lover, the weaver, and the father. Any idea where we can get six century-old items linked to these mysterious titles? You tell me. Zevo opened his bag and put a red book and a closed box on the table. Sedra watched Ethermel run a hand over both and shudder slightly. Found them in the tower. Oh, they're linked. They're not magical items in themselves, but they're imbued with significance, which is its own kind of magic. I'd bet the book belongs to the poet, and the box. Ethermel opened it and wrinkled his nose at the animal bones inside. Belong to the tamer. There's a sword in Signet's tower, Zevo said, linked to the soldier who I believe I met. Cedra shook her head and pulled from the water skin on the table. This was too much so early in the morning. Then we'd need items connected to the lover, weaver, and father. Ethermel nodded. Simple. Anyone have any ideas? No one had an answer, but Carminiola spoke. So let's say we recreate this ritual and get Signet in the circle. Then what? Do we kill him? Will that lift the curse? That's likely one way, the witcher said. I prefer a more peaceful solution, if possible. A way to right the wrong that was caused in order to dispel the curse. Symbolically, of course, Cedra said in a mocking tone. Zevo did not appear to pick up on the sarcasm. He nodded. Of course. I think, a woman said from behind Cedra. I may have the solution to all your problems. Cedra turned to see a fair-haired elf standing over everyone. Ethermel smiled and said, Enna, just the woman I was thinking of. It seems you always have a solution when it pays. Not this time, love, Anna said. This time the information's free. Anyone who wants to listen, come up to my office. Zevo, Ethramel, and Arthur stood immediately. Jeremiah looked at the group and said, This all sounds a little above me, to be honest, and I have a full day of crafting ahead of me. Carmoniola nodded. While I normally would be the first to join in, I have a duty to my patients. You all understand, I'm sure. Everyone turned to Cedra as they typically did. And as usual, Cedra found herself at a crossroads. She could stay at the Golden Blouse or any of the other taverns and make a tidy profit entertaining Adernian soldiers, as she was commanded to do. She would be safe, and no one would falter for it. Or she could follow the witcher and the elf and possibly do battle with wraiths and sorcerers. Decidedly less safe. Decidedly more interesting. For not the first time... Cedra wondered if she had a death wish. Cedra rubbed the scar on the side of her face and stood up. Thirteen. He was definitely being tailed. Jeremiah was sure of it. He had noticed his two pursuers shortly after he left the golden blouse, but chalked it up to nerves. That thought faded quickly, as his two pursuers, a short man and a tall man, closed the distance once Jeremiah turned onto Market Street. The street was alive with commerce, despite the early hour. The crowds were good. They would provide cover. Jeremiah ducked and turned left into an alleyway between two shops. He drew his hammer and turned, seeing the two men stop at the mouth of the alley. "'Well, this is quite a way to make an introduction,' Jeremiah said. The shorter of the two, a well-dressed man in a jaunted cap, grinned at his companion. "'See, I told you we thought we were tailing him. You're too intimidating.' The taller of the two, bald and muscular, grunted. Forgive us, the shorter man said. Truth is, we just want to talk. Jeremiah studied the two and tried to recall their faces, but could not. Complete strangers. He didn't lower his hammer. All right, we can talk at this distance. Sure, sure, the shorter man said. Jeremiah quickly surmised he was the talker, and his companion, with his crossed arms, was the muscle. The name's Sada of Edern. It's an honor to meet you, Sir Jeremiah. I'm not a knight, Jeremiah said. And you have me at a disadvantage, Sada. How is it you know of me, but I don't know of you? Because your reputation precedes you, of course. You come to Lankoff not a day ago, and you're already number two at the forge. You don't rise up that fast without skill. And I inspected some of that armor you were working on yesterday. Quality work. The way that you. Not that I don't appreciate the flattery, but get to the point. Sada nodded. Well, I'm head of the Lankoff Craftsman Guild, an especially reputable and influential guild, I might add given our healthy trade with the Mahakam Dwarves. It's about time a reputable and influential guild recognized my quality work, but I assume you didn't pursue me down an alleyway just to offer membership. Sada grinned, showing two rows of small white teeth. Perceptive. I'm here to offer you a conditional acceptance into our guild. This would include all the benefits that come from membership. Discounted rates on materials, the ability to set up shop anywhere in town, etc. But you must complete one task first. Jeremiah shrugged, as if he did not care. Which is? It's a trifle, really, Sata said, waving his hand in front of him. Truth is, ever since Radisson of Braithwaite came to Lonkoff, we've lost all our business. Everything is devoted to the war effort, and our craftsmen have to work for the good of Edern. Now I'm patriotic, mind you, but the guild needs profits to survive. And we've lost it all since Radisson started a monopoly. Jeremiah nodded. So... All we want is fair compensation for the lost revenue during this time. As I'm sure you've noticed, your friend Grammit has access to a storage room with all that excess weaponry and armor. All I ask is you get me access to that storage room. Jeremiah didn't lower his hammer. And have as much time to pilfer what you need, I suppose. Pilfer is such an ugly term. We're just going to take enough to recoup our losses. A businessman like yourself can understand that. Jeremiah nodded. I can, but I'm also a proud Adernian and I'm not a thief. Sada scoffed. All that equipment is wasted money. Guilds do not like those who waste its money or time. In guilds, I must add, talk. Word of your choices here can travel to every gilded craftsman in the north. But give it some consideration and get back to me. I'm staying at the Golden Blouse. I'm sure you know the place. I do, and I promise to think on it. Have a good morning. You as well. Jeremiah waited a few minutes before making his way to the forge. Production was in full swing, with a line of Adonian soldiers waiting. Grammett was working the main forge in the center of the large circular room, while a number of other craftsmen, "'From the guild, most like,' Jeremiah thought, worked the smaller forges, wringing the edges. Grammett was hammering a superheated sword when he saw Jeremiah. "'What's with the sour face?' he asked, plunging the sword into a barrel of water. It hissed, and steam rose. You look like you've seen a ghost. Jeremiah laughed and went to work at the main forge. It did not take long for him to say, Are you familiar with the Lawncalf Craftsman Guild? Sure, Grammit said, between strikes of his hammer. Name explains it all. Sad a proposition to you, didn't he? Something like that. Grammit continued hammering the sword, lighter than before, like an artist filling small details in a portrait. Well, congratulations are in order. I'll buy you a drink. Thanks. Know anything about him? Sada, I mean. Can't say I do. He's been running things a few years, though, so the guild must like him well enough. How do you figure? Well, guilds only keep people in charge if they make it money. The guild's last appointed leader didn't last more than three months here. Now stop staring and get back to work. There's lots to be done before sunset. Jeremiah nodded and went back to work. But he watched Gramet pick the sword up with one hand and fish a key out of his pocket with the other. He watched Gramet go out of the building. He watched him return... Key safely back in his pocket. Jeremiah returned to work. fourteen. Ethermel found Anna's office far more cramped the second time around. The mistress of the Golden Blouse insisted the four of them stand opposite her desk, which meant she had one half of the room comfortably to herself, while the rest had to make do with the other half. I'll be quick about it, Anna said. Please do, Ethermel said. Cedra had taken the only chair on their end, which put him in a sour mood. His leg throbbed with a dull pain, and he very much wanted to sit. This would have been more efficient if you just told me everything the first time. I didn't trust your intentions, then, Anna said with a shrug. I barely trust you now, but I trust what I've heard. And I know, based on the witcher's tone, that he will lift Signet's curse one way or another. Ethermel scoffed. Hear that, witcher? Looks like the she-elf made your choice for you. Zevo kept quiet, which angered the sorcerer more. It wasn't just the cramped quarters or the stolen chair— or his throbbing leg. Ethramel didn't like being deceived, and Enna had deceived him by not sharing the whole truth when he asked for it. All because she didn't trust his intentions. And what's more, the powerful sorcerer Ethramel hoped to train under was apparently nothing more than a doddering old fool now. His plans dashed in an instant. And, to top it all off, he now found himself entangled in breaking this plowing curse. I take it you've been in Larncalf longer than you let on, Ethermel added, when the silence became unbearable. Enna nodded. One hundred and twenty-three years, come this autumn. Back when Signet was a frostier presence, but still welcome in the town. He's a good man who was wronged. So if you're going to break this curse, I ask for one thing. Do it peaceful, and spare Signet. Any suggestion on how we do that, Zevo said? I've had time to study up on it, naturally. I heard all the talk about symbolism and recreating the curse— so it seems to me you need a symbolic apology to be given to Signet. Anna parted her rouged lips in a smile. Someone with connections to the original perpetrator, perhaps. Zevo grunted. I see where this is going, and I doubt Lassa will go along with it. The alderwoman, Arthur said. How's she connected? Her great-grandfather ordered the committee's execution, Anna answered. And what's more symbolically powerful than blood? If she were to beg for Signet's forgiveness, with the rest of the symbology in place... That should work, right? Maybe. I don't think she'll agree, though. Can't you convince her? Arthur waved his hand at Zevo in an unintelligible gesture. You know, with your Witcher magic? It has to be sincere, Zevo said with an edge in his voice. It won't work if it's forced. Enna leaned back in her chair and steepled her fingers. Then it sounds like you need to convince her. Forgive me for dampening the plan, Cedra said, but we still need three more items to complete the committee set, am I correct? Enna opened up her desk drawer and produced an opaque bottle of perfume, a yellowed handkerchief with the name Ephraim embroidered in red in the corner, and a ragged stuffed doll with yarn brown hair. Ethermel's eyes widened as he sensed the magic emanating from these items, similar to the poetry book and catbones. He laughed and said, Enna, you sneaky minx, you've been holding out on us. Try not to take it personally, she said. If you agree to go about this peacefully, you can have the items that once belonged to the lover, the weaver, and the father. And how did you come across all this? Zevo asked. You a collector? Enna did not answer. Surprisingly, Ethrimel felt his anger dissipate instead of flare up. Enna, it seemed, was a true Anseid, keeping her cards close and revealing them only when it would get her what she wanted. She was a survivor. Like him. Ethermel looked to his companions and said, Well, we better get to it then. Fifteen. Ah, the last of the Kellers. To what do I owe the pleasure? Radisson was sitting in Lass's office. He had a cup of tea on the table and looked to be dressed more casually today. Jeremiah was let in without any issues. I promise I won't take up too much of your time, the craftsman said, but I would like to discuss the question of my compensation. So soon? It's only been a day. I don't expect to stay here long, nor do you, I think. Best to get it out of the way now. Don't want any confusion. I have a letter of recommendation from Grammet. It attests to the quality of my work. Radisson read it and slid it back across the table. Here's the thing, Keller. I did say those of noble birth deserve higher consideration than commoners. In all things. But there's a war going on. So what I can offer is far less than you'll expect. I can provide you with 150 marks for as long as you are here. Don't bother negotiating, because I can offer no more. My dear man, Jeremiah started, trying to find the words as he spoke. My mind would be set at greater ease if you provided 200 marks. Radisson didn't bother standing up to make his point. Maybe I didn't make myself clear. I can only offer 150 marks for the honor of serving the war effort in King Stennis. This should suffice for any patriot. Don't question my patriotism, Jeremiah said. He disliked the heat in his voice, but found he was not able to temper it. I will continue to serve Edirne, but your offer comes in considerably low. What would you have me do? Jeremiah sighed and regained control of his tone. Perhaps you can throw in something extra, something that isn't coin. Something like a diagram. Radisson squinted at the craftsman. Then he shrugged. If Grammat has a piece of parchment is willing to part with, that's his business. Discuss it with him. From me, you'll only get what I've offered." and only after the work is complete. Jeremiah bowed. Then I thank you for your time. As he was reaching the door, Radisson said, One last thing, Keller. Jeremiah turned. Radisson was still seated. It's ill-befitting for one of your family name to be scraping and groveling for coin. Ill-befitting indeed. Jeremiah lost control of his tone, and he spat out his words. You know nothing of my family. He slammed the door and stomped down the stairs. He gathered a few breaths once he hit the street, but was greeted by the smell of horse shit on the cobblestones. That, and Arthur of Garamore. There you are, the troubadour said to the craftsman as he crossed the street. I was tasked with finding you, and I looked up and down all of Market Street. Yet here you are. Here I am. Now all that's left is to find Carmoniola. Come. Jeremiah stayed. He asked a question he feared he knew the answer to. Why? Arthur winked and said, we have a curse to break. That'll do it for this episode of Tales from the Witcher. This podcast is written and produced by Jacob Gerstel. The Witcher novels are by Andrzej Sapkowski, The Witcher games are by CD Projekt Red, and The Witcher Tabletop RPG is by R. Talsorian Games. The music is by Eric Mattias at soundimage.org. Be sure to leave a rating and a review, and to spread the word of this podcast far and wide. You can follow the podcast at Tales Witcher Pod on X or at TalesfromTheWitcher.buzzsprout.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you again next week.